0: Turning in God's Word this morning to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, we looked at John the Baptist briefly last week when we heard of his message concerning repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and the axe is at the root of the trees. He said that the one is coming who will remove the chaff and clear the threshing floor. The one coming comes with his winnowing fork in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. The chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This message of of John the Baptist, he had an intention uh, or, or an expectation that Christ would come and bring immediate judgment. And when we think of all of this, we try to... Connect our expectations with the gifts that God gives. This morning I want us to think about that a little bit. When we come to this time of year, we think about God's gifts to us. Some of those gifts that we draw to Matthew 11 this morning are uh, before us. Jesus said of John that he was the Elijah who was to come, who announced the arrival of the king. And he preached that message and he preached that message of of repentance. He spoke uh, of the sins that were taking place in society and it led to his imprisonment. And so we want to think about uh, how we proclaim faithfully yet, uh, though it may bring unexpected results, contrary to our expectations. Reading from God's Word then this morning, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 2. Now, when John heard, As they, John's disciples, went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of God. May yet his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Dear people of God, as we think about John the Baptist and his role of messenger before the Lord Jesus Christ, we see one who's confused by perhaps his own own expectations, his own ideas of who this Messiah would be. He's pronouncing judgment, he's pronouncing that this one to come, he's proclaiming that this one to come is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Now he's in prison and he's trying to understand what's going on. And perhaps that's true of you when you look around. You think, What is going on? If God is true to his word, what is when is this all going to take place? How long will this world endure before the Lord Jesus Christ returns? We think about the gospel going out, and it leads us to wonder when will this age come to an end? When will Christ return? Well, a searching heart is that first of the gifts I want to look at with you this morning. The searching heart, we, the title of the sermon, The Greatest Gifts, plural. There are many more than, than we're going to look at this morning, but these are just a few from Matthew 11. That searching heart is a gift from God. To have an eye for Christ's return, to have an eye for his certain return, and for the establishment of his kingdom enables us, as the Catechism says, to be patient in adversity, to be grateful in prosperity, and to be confident in God the Father that this is going to be established. This plan of God's is going to be established. Now, we have the New Testament. We're going to see that in just a moment under the second point, and that helps us understand things. John is still searching, trying to understand what's going on. He had great expectations for Jesus, but he didn't understand Jesus' process, his timing. Maybe there are expectations put upon you and you don't meet up to those expectations. Perhaps there are expectations that you have for other people. Children, we hear about it often in The athletic world today, when we hear of those with great expectations, according to the scouting reports and all the rest, that this person didn't meet up to expectations and they're called the great bust or the the great flop or the failure. They haven't measured up to expectations. Jesus is no failure. He is no flop. But John is con- is confused. He's perplexed about what's going on. John's been, or Jesus hasn't been on the scene very long, but John, along with most of the Jews, had high expectations. Further, John grew up with a certain prophecy that uh, uh, hanging over his head, as it were. You remember what his father had prophesied in Luke chapter 1, that he would go before the one who was the Most High, the Lord. Listen to what Luke 1 says, his father prophesied this about his son, John, you child will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. John no doubt heard this growing up. Well, there was a prophecy that your father gave as you were at your time of your birth and he likely thought of the expectations upon him. Well, what am I, what am I to do? How am I going to prepare for that? And he was Obviously, a a man committed, a man set apart, holy unto the Lord in the wilderness, proclaiming the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, taking upon himself that mantle. And yet, as he pronounces the coming of the Messiah, there's probably, as he pronounces that Jesus is that Messiah, there are probably some saying, is this the prophet? And is this the Messiah? Because the prophet is pronouncing to us this Messiah who has no great majesty to attract us to him. He's not very powerful. He's not in high places. He's in the wilderness proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not exactly what we were expecting from the prophet who precedes, and then the Messiah to come. And John himself is saying, I have, there are big expectations I'm pronouncing you the Messiah, Jesus. You need to, to make this proclamation something worth listening to. And John is searching. He's wondering what is what is going on? He expected Jesus to immediately judge the enemies of God's people, and the, the people of God did too. They wanted this Messiah to come and be that judge. And yet here is John now in prison, verse 2 tells us, and he hears reports of Jesus' power and of his healing and yet Jesus is not doing anything to deliver the people, least of all to deliver him and he's, he's led to ask through his disciples, are you the one to come or should we look for another? There were great expectations placed on him, and he had great expectations for the Lord Jesus, and when Lord Jesus was not fulfilling those, he himself felt a little conflicted. How about you this morning? When you pronounce the Lord Jesus Christ to your unbelieving neighbor, to your co-worker, to your fellow student, and you say, Jesus has come, he's gone into heaven and he's returning again and he's going to make all things new. In fact, he's even reigning now. And people look around, they go, really? Well, then I'm not sure he's the savior I'm looking for. I'm not sure that he's as powerful as you say he is. I mean, look at this place. And do you then say, yeah, what gives? Lord, what is this going to all take place? And the searching heart becomes the doubting heart. And the doubting heart becomes the fearful heart. And the fearful heart becomes the quiet heart. And nothing is said. And darkness encroaches and prevails and moves forward. And we say, Who is going to pierce the darkness? And God says, I will send forth my son. And Jesus says, and you will be equipped and empowered to be my witnesses. John says, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now remember where John is in... Time. He's in that transitional period between old covenant, new covenant, old testament, new testament. He does not yet have all of the, uh, the, the 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 teaching of the Lord Jesus, all the teaching of the the apostles. He's searching, trying to understand, and he doesn't understand as he looks around him and says, "I'm in this jail. I'm in this prison. I'm I'm suffering. How how can this be?" Is this the kingdom that we expect? And of course we know Jesus says, oh, that kingdom is coming and it's coming. But we enter the kingdom of God through much tribulation. You see, as we search the Scriptures, we start to understand that this all fits into God's plan. It's part of His plan. It leads us to look to Him to recognize our weakness that we cannot bring in the kingdom on our own, but that this kingdom is also not a particular political uh, power, but it is a transformation of heart and life that we might be salt and light in this world that is under the curse of God of sin. Then we start to unpack the message and we start to help people understand, well, what is it that has left us in this state? And we see that it is us and that we ourselves need to be delivered. Then we, along with others, can share that good news and not say, well, I'm here and you're down there. You need to come where I am and be like me. And someone says, I don't want to become just like you. Well, what is it that we want them to be like? Is it that we say, well, look at me. I've done so many good things. Or, no, all I'm saying is I want you to walk with me in humility before the Lord. Because the Lord says he is near to those who are humble in heart. And we all need the Lord equally. We need to search and understand. I'm listening to a book right now by a non-Christian on how Christianity shaped the world. I can't recommend it necessarily, but it's interesting to see how he interprets certain events and he points out to so many, so many, what he sees as failures on God's part and he says, who is this God and is he really one we can trust? And I'm listening and I'm, I'm following the story and I'm thinking, this is amazing and it's, it's truly uh, stunning how God is working through these events to bring us all the way from 490 B.C. and even before 600 B.C. on to where we are today. It's interesting. It's fascinating. It's unfortunate that he is not seeing God's sovereignty in it, but sees it rather as a reason to turn from God. It reminded me that while we proclaim Christ's victory, we we remember, as I've said, that through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, thank God this Christmas season for every prompting that he gives you to search his word, to search more for truth. That's a gift from the Lord, one that should not be squandered, one that should not be left wrapped but one that should be open. And pray for that desire to grow in you. We're blessed with another gift. Secondly, this morning, a clarifying word, the whole word of God. What a gift. Without the New Testament, John struggled to understand the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. He's looking around and saying, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I, I'm not sure I, I understand how you're fulfilling prophecy. Maybe you'll receive a gift this Christmas and it'll have those Word's assembly required. And you need those instructions to know how things fit together. Well, most of us do and some of us ignore those instructions and the assembly never gets done. But the instructions from God's Word The teaching from God's word functions in that capacity, helping us to understand our story and how we fit into the story and how to make sense of this world in which we live and how God is advancing, how He has come, how He has opened the way, how He has delivered from sin and death and hell. We need the whole Bible. A.W. Tozer said it this way nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. It was also said this way, what is in the Old Testament concealed is in the New Testament revealed. We're blessed to have Old and New Testament. Without it, we would not understand. Without the Old Testament, we would not understand all that Jesus came to fulfill. All those, those types and, and shadows in the Old Testament. And, and then we see Christ saying, I have fulfilled these things in his coming. So we see God's, God's multifaceted plan of redemption fulfilled in Christ. And the, without the New Testament, we would be left without an understanding of What Jesus accomplished. Alistair Begg puts it this way. We find Christ in all the scriptures. In the Old Testament he's predicted. In the gospels he's revealed. In acts he's preached. In the epistles he's explained. And in Revelation he's expected. So we need the whole scripture. John didn't realize that Jesus had come. Not to bring judgment at this time. In his time. But to bear judgment. To deliver us from it. It came to reveal the grace of God to sinful man so that you and I might not lose heart. The disciples didn't understand it all right away either. They looked to Jesus and he talked about going up to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. And they said, not you, Lord, certainly not you. Not, this will never happen. Perish the thought. And Jesus says, if this does not happen to me, there is no salvation for mankind. He says, the Son of Man must be lifted up and draw all people to himself. After the question from John, Jesus told his disciples to consider the Word of God for clarification, to go back to the Word, to search it, to consider it. And what he was doing, he acknowledges, was foretold by Isaiah the prophet. He says in verses 4 to 6, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who is not uh, uh, turned away, not seeing how I am fulfilling prophecy. Jesus was doing what the prophet Isaiah said the coming Messiah would do. John needed to recognize this even if Jesus wasn't acting the way he wanted him to act. Jesus wasn't knocking down buildings and seeking to establish himself in the halls of politics in those days. He was coming in the power of the Lord. Listen to the words in Isaiah 35. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. They, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Now John's reading this, or he's pondering this, and he's focusing on the vengeance and the recompense of God, but he's missing the fact that Jesus came healing, giving sight, and giving hearing to the deaf. God was working, though not linearly, as it was stated there, in the way that John would expect. Well, I ask again, when you look around today in this country, do you ever wonder, Lord, why aren't you doing something? But why, why aren't you taking care of that? Why, why is that person still in power? Why is that particular movement gaining traction? And as we study the Word of God, we learn that through trial and tribulation, we're being refined from trusting in ourselves, in our our halls of power, in our particular groups to look exclusively to the Lord Jesus Christ upon His throne and to recognize, as we have ears to hear, that the gospel is going forth to the ends of the earth and many are coming to faith around the world. God is drawing people to Himself. Those in the rich and prosperous lands bow to their gods of plenty. Those in want recognize their need and see the Lord as the one who can deliver. John comes preaching in the wilderness. Jesus comes teaching and preaching in the wilderness. The world was in a wilderness state. We could say it was fallen under the curse of sin. There were thorns and briars. There was brokenness. And Jesus comes and he proclaims the kingdom is being ushered in, inaugurated at his coming. But the end is not yet. And we read further on in the scriptures as we look at the Bible, what it has to say. Peter talks about how the end of, at the end of time, all will be refined by fire. As the waters covered the earth, so in the end, there will be a refining fire to remove all that is impure, that only the pure gold would remain. We see in part what is happening when that fiery judgment comes down upon the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. There He bears the judgment that we deserved and through His death He reveals God's way of cosmic renewal, the one who endures. Remember John's word back in Matthew 3, Christ would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. That prophecy had both a picture of refinement and destruction in it. Fire, as we've noted, removes impurities. Fire also consumes the combustible. God the Son bore the fiery judgment against sin and endured because He, as the writer of Hebrews said, has the power of an indestructible life. He now offers salvation through his permanent intercession. We think of the picture of the Holy Spirit coming early early in the book of Acts. And how is he depicted? He's depicted by a flame of fire resting on the heads of the apostles. God the Holy Spirit is a fire who comes to give life to those dead in sin, to purify, to burn up sin, and to give new life. When the fire comes down, we we find what will endure? What will last? When the fire came down on Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened? The cities, were destro- the cities were destroyed. When fire came down upon the Lord, he bore the judgment, but he came through because of the power of an indestructible life. Those who are in Christ then are those who will not be consumed, but will be refined. Without Christ, we will be consumed. But in him, there is forgiveness. There is life. Thanks be to God for his clarifying word, where he clarifies what is taking place in this world. All the brokenness, all of the sadness as a result of sin, but the hope of the coming Lord Jesus Christ. And God saying clearly, Over and over again, that salvation is by grace, through faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, such that no one can boast and say, well, I've earned it. But also the opposite, the other end is true, no one can say I'm so sinful as not to be savable. The Lord Jesus Christ has offered himself, his sacrifice is sufficient to cover all sin, Jesus declares of John that these are the words of a prophet. We don't have time to look at all the interplay there and all the rhetorical questions that he gives to the crowds that he's talking to, but what he's saying is the word of John is the word of a prophet, the one who has gone before him in fulfillment of Malachi 3 verse 1, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. John was that one. He held a place of honor. To announce the coming of the Messiah. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, Among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. A unique position, greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than Joshua, or any other Old Testament figure. John saw God's Savior. But, Jesus goes on, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What could be better than the unique position that John held well, a position beyond the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a position that has the whole Word of God and the Spirit's testimony, that we might see how salvation is secure. John didn't understand what Jesus had come to do. In this sense, we're more blessed, greater, if you will because we live on the side of, this side of Jesus' death, empty tomb and ascension, God has given you a privileged position that you might understand, that you might go forth and tell others of the truth who Jesus is and what he's come to do. The gift of the Spirit. It's really the gift behind the other two. The gift, the person of the Holy Spirit. He has been given That you might search the scriptures, that you might have God's very word, his clarifying word in its entirety, that you might know who Christ is and might believe upon him. God's spirit is a gift promised in the Old Testament, the gift of the new covenant, the new age, the spirit who comes and fills us, his people, that we might be able to testify to God's salvation. John longed to see God's savior. He looked but he was still unsure. Are you the one, or should we look for someone else? He had the certain faith, but the faith uh, that one was coming. But the faith of the Old Testament saints still looking with questions, like the Old Testament saints. What will he do? How will he come? He did not live to see Jesus' death and resurrection. He did not live to see the day when the Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled that the Spirit would. He poured out on all people that all would be testifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. To God's way of salvation. You and I are in privileged time. We search the word. We see in the word by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is God's salvation. There had been 400 years of silence. Between Malachi and John The Baptist and the people. The religious leaders had built up a a different expectation of who the Messiah would be. They were looking for a warrior soldier who would do battle with Israel's enemies. They were still looking and waiting for the Messiah to come. Indeed, there are many today still looking and waiting. In celebration of Passover, many Jews still include an empty chair at the table for Elijah who is to come. That's symbolism table there a chair rather there for Elijah to come and yet Jesus says in the next few verses which lord willing we'll look at next sunday morning he says if you are willing to accept it John is the Elijah to come John was that one who spoke of the coming messiah and Christ is that one whom god has given for the forgiveness of our sins God has given you a gift by placing you in this time, giving you his spirit so that you might understand his scriptures. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, thank the Lord for opening your eyes and your ears to the truth that saves. You have all that you'll ever need. Nothing more needs to be given. No other gifts but Jesus. Continue to give thanks to God for these gifts, his spirit for a searching heart and for a clarifying word. J.C. Ryle says this, The child who knows, who understands the story of the cross, possesses a key to religious knowledge, which patriarchs and prophets never enjoyed. Think about that. Which patriarchs and prophets never enjoyed. God's given these great gifts to you, so that you might know his greatest gift. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the hope of God come into the world that you might not perish but that you might go forth confident unto everlasting life amen let's pray our father in heaven we thank you for these gifts we thank you for your spirit for guiding us to understand we know there are times where we don't fully understand and yet we know enough, we know all that we need to know, that we can trust you fully, completely, and walk humbly, dependently before you as we search, as we look into your word, as your word points to Jesus. May it give us great joy. May it fill our hearts with peace, which the world longs for but cannot find in its ways and its doings. Father, we thank you for these gifts. May we be grateful through this season as we think upon all that you have provided for us, above all, your Son, in whom we have life. Hear us, we pray, for his sake. Amen.